Good afternoon, everybody out there listening in Internet Radio Land. How are you? I hope you're doing well. It's been a week since my last show. Welcome to the show, Gods and Goddesses. We are gods in the making. That's why we're here on Earth. We are gods in the making. That's why we were born into this world. Because we'll be born again on another world. Somewhere in the universe. After this life. I know that a lot of us, including me, that we're invincible, but we're not. You know? One day, we will cease to exist in these physical bodies. As scary as it is, and it's even hard to talk about this because this subject is very spiritual. Sometimes we don't have time for spirituality because there's too many things going on in this world. All kinds of stuff coming at us from different directions. Other interests. Depends on how much money you make, too. What kind of food you eat. It all equals how you're doing with your spiritual development. You know what I mean. Let me rephrase that. We are here, I believe, I can't prove it to you, but I believe that we're here for spiritual development. That is the number one priority. Because, as I've said on other shows, we increase our light by being here. Our souls shine with the light. When we're born into this world, they shine with a, an intensity that's equal to all the past lives that we've had, all the spiritual development that we've been able to achieve in the afterlife, in the spirit lands or heaven. And we come into this world shining that way. And when we leave this world, hopefully at a ripe old age after many years, and people are taken away before they get old, you know. Even babies die. Teenagers, people 20 years old, 30 years old, 50, 60, 70, different ages. But the idea, the hope is to stay here as long as possible and learn what we can. Each day is a gift, my friends. You agree? A gift. Life is a gift. I'm so grateful to be alive today, talking to you right now. In my show, I'm going to read from my Bible today, like I did last week. It's something I love to do because this book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet, is what I consider to be the ultimate source of knowledge when it comes to spiritual development. There are other sources as well. The Bible is a great source. Truly, the best account of divine intervention this world has ever known. And I've got many other books that I consider great sources of spiritual knowledge to include The Soul's Remembrance, Inside Heaven's Gate, 90 Minutes in Heaven, 23 minutes in hell. The contract has just begun. Paradise, the holy city, and the glory of the throne. And they're all in my book, if you want it. It's in the Amazon Kindle bookstore, The Gray Brain and the Golden Soul. Because the soul, my friends, in case you didn't know already, is nothing more than the brain of the spirit. Just like you have a brain in the physical body, the soul is the brain of the spirit, and you know you have a spirit. When you dream at night, your spirit leaves your body. It's also known as the astral body, and it travels to different dimensions, different locations, other planets around the universe and our solar system. Dreams. You have dreams, right? 
because you're a dreamer just like me. I know you do. But when our spirit, and when our spirit does that, it refreshes itself. It solves problems that we've had in the daytime. It gets us back on track, on course, to start a new day. Because we really don't deserve to be in the dumps, you know? It's true that living here on the planet of sorrows, you know, that's what I like about this book, what I've learned from the book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet. We are living on a planet that is of the lowest evolutionary category. It's a beautiful, beautiful planet with all kinds of life, right? I'll say this again, okay? So many different types of life here on Earth, over a million types of insects, over 3,000 types of fish in the oceans, seas, rivers, and lakes, over 10,000 types of birds, reptiles, over 9,000 types of amphibians, over 5,000 types of mammals, thousands of different types of trees and flowers, hundreds of different types of fruits and vegetables. If all this life happened by accident, logically, and you are logical, right? I know if you're listening, you are a logical person. You might be listening later in an archived show. Then you have to agree that all this life could happen by accident anywhere in the universe. And you know, even a person with a fifth grader mentality, a fifth grader, can tell you that the universe is a very big place and there are lots of other planets out there, right? We're discovering more each and every day. Case closed, really. Logically, there is life out there, but I like to put it in this perspective because I didn't, never did believe that all this happened by accident, right? Because how did you come into existence? More than just our parents procreating, you know, it goes back to which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of concept, you know? There has to be a creator, a power up above, if you will. That creator who created something out of nothing, my friends, at one time, nothing existed before the Big Bang. And now, that creator we know has the power and the knowledge, the omnipotence and omniscience to create either the same life or different life like we can't comprehend or imagine anywhere. A-N-Y-W-H-E-R-E in the universe. That is also logical. Agreed? Therefore, my friend, with logic, we don't need proof to form our beliefs. We don't need a fly sausage land in our backyard to know that E.T. is out there. To see it with our own eyes. There's plenty of evidence on YouTube. If you really want to believe that they are out there, E.T., come back! E.T., go home, remember that? I was thinking about that the other day. We had to say, E.T., come back! Come back, E.T., please! We don't need to find sausages and land in our backyard to know that they're out there. Logic can do it. Because we're sentient beings, right? Not, I mentioned all this life here on Earth, but we're sentient beings. We're part of the four forces of the universe. The fourth force. The fourth force. That's a tongue twister. The fourth force. The first force was what created all the planets, the suns, the moon. The second force created all of the plant life, animal life on planets. Which force created the sentient beings throughout the universe? I mean, I don't really like Star Wars because I don't like the title Star Wars. Stars, the stars that you look up in the evening sky, that beautiful domain out there, it's supposed to be peaceful, not at war with each other, okay? If you think that way, then you're probably a young soul influenced by people can't think for yourself. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. We need to 
stand alone. All of us need to stand alone and not be influenced by other people. On that day when we pass away, we need to say, I lived my life. I went my own way, just like Heinz Sinatra said. And did it my way. I to sing a song. You like to hear a song? I'll sing a song for you. I also like to read from the book. So, agreed, there's life out there. And planet Earth is, as I mentioned, of a lower evolutionary category, which, getting back to the point I was making, is a planet otherwise known throughout the universe, all the sentient life, all the civilizations out there who know about us, they know that we are living on a planet of sorrows. And there are other planets of sorrows out there. There's not many good things going on. I mean, not much excellent news to report each day. You turn on the news, just for example, and there's nothing positive, basically. One negative thing after another. You don't have to listen to the news. I don't, I know. You don't have to tune in to CNN or any other news. You don't have to watch television, period. I do. Because I get bored. And I'm living with other people. If I was living by myself, I probably wouldn't listen to television so much. I was watching football today, college football. So exciting. You know, it really gets the heart beating faster when you're supporting a team and it gets down close to the end of the game. The excitement, you know, in any kind of sports. I used to watch NASCAR racing a lot. When Dale Earnhardt was alive before he, he died in that tragic accident. And, you know, the last few laps, I mean, you're, they're racing neck to neck, you know, coming down to the checkered flag. And, you know, I love Dale Earnhardt. Some people did. But they'd be like, come on, yeah, come on, Dale. You know, or today I was watching the football game. Texas was playing Oklahoma. And I was like, come on, Texas, come on. And when they scored that last touchdown to tie the game, I kind of pumped my hands up, you know, it's nice to do that. I went years without doing it, but now I'm getting back into it because I want to be involved, you know. I know the feeling of winning and losing, maybe it's counterproductive or let me rephrase that. I just want to, um, I've been focused so much on spirituality. I, I feel sometimes I need to keep a objective foot on the ground and not get myself, my head too high up in the clouds, if you know what I mean. And sport, I'm glad to see that everyone's getting back into the stadiums, filling the stadiums up, you know, with people. It was so sad before during the pandemic that these people, not college football, but the NFL, other professional sports, basketball, hockey, People weren't coming to the games, and so they weren't making any money. And I think that's one thing that feeds the economy of the United States, why we've been so successful around the world in the past with our economy is because we have professional sports, you know. These guys that give it 100% effort, you know, they're very talented, gifted. It's good to see them. I like it. Now, I'm changing my mindset about that. Now, you might say, well, it's kind of violent. Is that the way of the future? Is that the way we should go as a world in our evolution as a species? And I think it's okay, whether you like soccer or any kind of professional sport, you know. That's why people love it so much, because it's a competition. And competition can help you grow, you know, it has certain benefits, I believe, to help a person, a young man or woman grow. A women's soccer team, women have many teams. My granddaughter plays volleyball, she's 12 years old. I always look at young men that play high school football with a kind of reverence, you know, I admire their strength and their power, put all those 
clothes on, all the padding, you know, and play their hearts out, so to speak, for a whole game. It requires certain character. And like I mentioned, power and strength to do that. Those professionals, like in the NFL, you watch them play. They play with such a finesse and talent and raw power and strength. Very admirable and worthy of emulation, you know. They're good role models. Now, they might not have all the answers when it comes to spirituality, but I think we ought to love them, too. Just, that's another point I wanted to make. Like I found out during the pandemic, you've ever loved everybody. You know, you don't have to watch a game from the beginning to the end. You can always watch a little bit and tune off. Later on, you don't have to see it to its conclusion to see who had the highest score and who won. Just to see the plays, you know. I was watching the Cardinals play the Dodgers the other night. Just so incredibly impressed with the, the strength of the men, you know, the confidence. It's really contagious, you know. You watch that. So I've been out exercising. For two days now, I have run, run a mile and a quarter around the track. And I've gone back to this um, because it, I feel, has given me more confidence. And I, I need to have more confidence. You know, who doesn't? But also, and I've mentioned this before in other shows, I'm a black belt in Taekwondo, and I learned you know, um, the basics, doing a, another style, taking another style called Tang Sudo when I was living in San Diego in the 70s. And then when I went to Korea with the Army in 1987 to 89, I got a black belt in Taekwondo. And there's something about when you clench your fists, you're harnessing that energy, that key, that inner energy. You've heard Martial artists talk about that inner energy called the key, K-I. That kind of, you know, power. And you get it from collecting your fists. About the, the way you would, like, fight somebody in a fist fight. Or, well, hopefully not, you know, because I've never hit anybody in anger. We don't want to do that. But if you, gotta know, you should be able to defend yourself. Know that you can defend yourself or defend someone else, like a woman who's getting raped, for example, if necessary, you know. Always try to talk yourself out of a situation first, but, and pray, too. Don't forget to pray, but it's good to know you have the skills necessary to maybe block an opponent, you know, or maybe deliver a punch. Absolutely necessary to a solar plexus and disable an opponent that way. My point is, with the closed fist, the clenched fist, you can harness that energy. Now, I've seen, I've studied, I've done so much research. Oh, my friend. Oh, so much research on this subject. Hold your hands when you run. And people, you know, hold their hands open. Sprinters, especially female sprinters. Carl Lewis used to do the karate chop kind of sprint. Now I've seen a change with some people. They change from that. They go to a more close fist kind of running. The guy that won the 100 meters in the Olympics, the, uh, Lamont Marcel, I think his name is, or Marcel Lamont. Well, I can't remember exactly. That's what it sounds like. The Italian guy. Take a look at the YouTube video of him running his 100 meters. He had a close fist. He won. Usain Bolt is the greatest sprint of all time, no doubt. He kind of had a combination. I saw he had his hands open a little bit, but for the most part, they were close. Take Rocky Marciano, probably the greatest boxer of all time. Some of the, um, the footage of him training, he used to run with his clothes. You know? That's what boxers do. They, they run and they box at the same time. Mike Tyson also, George Foreman. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, a little bit different. 
he had kind of, he put his thumbs up. I like to keep my thumbs down. Just like you were doing if you were in a boxing match. And then when you run to the boxers, you know, they'd be doing a little bit of punching as they ran. The point is, you're harnessing that inner energy. Bruce Lee had something known as the one-inch punch. He knew how to do that. He used to run. I, I couldn't get a hold of any footage seeing how he held his hands, but it does make a difference. One thing I've noticed when I'm running with my fists closed is that I can keep, keep my pace better. I can keep a better pace. I don't get tired. I can slow down and speed up better. I have more energy. I can go farther. Now, take someone like Ilya Kipchoge, the, the, mar- the greatest marathon runner of all time. I've seen how he runs, how he holds his hands, and they're kind of, um, kind of together, but a little bit loose. But even the greatest, you know, doesn't have all the answers. You have to find out for yourself. You know that. Every problem that you're trying to solve in your life, whether it's how you hold your hands with your run, or what kind of food you eat, or how you go to the bathroom, or the position you sleep in at nighttime, all up to you to figure out what's right. I can tell you this, though. There's a lot of confusion out there. Some people, they just don't know the right answers. They're still trying to find out for themselves. And they tell you that they know, but don't trust them. Don't trust me either. Find out for yourself. Give it a try. I try everything usually once. I trust in people a lot. But when it comes down to it, it's up to you to decide how you want to work your body, you know? I was out there running today, and they had some kind of thing going on with the Air Force on the dirt track on Lackland Air Force Base. So this guy runs by me with his hands open, you know, doing a, maybe finishing up a one-mile or two-mile run. You know, saying, okay, well, I was there myself a little while ago. I tried that. This woman, she was running around the track with a, a long dress with a, a hat on, like, in Halloween garb, I guess that's the closest thing I can say to describe it. And um, she had her hands open. It's funny, though, when I they saw me, that kind of that changed. I could tell them thinking, hmm, maybe I should be trying that. You know? I know I caught that look in their eyes because I kept my energy. I felt good at the end. kept a good pace. I even did a little cadence. Cadence. Breathing through my nose is another thing, too. I've been practicing breathing through my nose because I've got sleep apnea. I've told you about that before. So do millions of Americans. And part of the problem is people can't breathe properly through their noses. That's what it comes down to. So go figure. How can you get it so you breathe through your nose more? Well, I've been practicing that while running at an easy pace. I can't do it. I, I can do it all the time if I wanted to, but it's kind of hard. When I was on that cruise ship recently back at the end of August, early September, I was working out on the treadmill, and I ran like um, two miles just breathing through my nose. And there's a lot of benefits about that, and you can read about it on the Internet. And... It warms the air going into your lungs. It harnesses the energy. There's so many different benefits to include really getting more oxygen to the cells. Although some people say, no, you need to breathe through your mouth more to get more oxygen. So you have a lot of conflicting guidance. Just have to go for what you know. Give it a try. And do a little research on your own. You know, if you're having problem breathing, problems breathing. Try breathing more through your nose, whether it's walking, you know, maybe a fast walk, or a slow run, or breathing exercises, you know, on your patio, breathing through your nose. I sleep on my back, mostly. I can't sleep on my side. I'm 67 years old. Sometimes I like to sleep on my side, but it seems like every time I do, I have a sleep apnea attack and I wake up and I'm not breathing. This is not a comfortable feeling, but 
it seems to work better for me sleeping on my back. I was a soldier for 22 years. I still work for the Army. In that position, sleeping on your back is known as the soldier's position. So I think one of the reasons I call it that is because it's probably a good thing to do. You know what I mean? I use a contour pillow and tempur-pedic contour pillow with the the low side down. I'll put my head on that. I did that for years. I didn't know I was supposed to, supposed to be doing it the other way like I'm doing it now. It seemed to work okay for four years, but now I can't do it because it um, gives me these attacks, I've noticed. But anyway... That's what's been going on in my life. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything or hide anything. I like to be open with you. You know, listen to my show. I'm the same guy I was before, and I'll be the same guy next week when I start my show, you know, when I talk on my next show. And now, I'd like to read from the book, Abduction to the Night Planet. You know, having your own radio show on DBS Radio, being able to talk for an hour is a wonderful thing, really, if you're Concerned about improving your public speaking skills, it's an excellent way to do that. Another great way is to read from a book out loud. Also singing, either a cappella or with music. All of these are great mind activities, you know. And we should all be developing ourselves to speak in front of people and not be embarrassed when that time comes. Because if you... And you can't fool yourself, you know, it doesn't, you can fool me, but you can't fool yourself. If you've ever been embarrassed because you haven't handled a public speaking situation well, then you know you need to work on it. It's as simple as that. You need to get some practice in. It's like riding a bike. You couldn't just, when you were five years old, you jumped on a bike, you couldn't ride it right. In the beginning, it took a while. It fell off it maybe a couple of times. Maybe that's not a good example, but the point is, practice makes perfect. The same with public speaking. They should be teaching it early in school, even kindergarten. That's what I would prefer that they do because it's really so important. It's more important than anything else to be able to talk in front of people. But they place very little emphasis on that over the years. Now I think things are changing. They're realizing that we'd be a healthier civilization, so to speak, if we master the art of public speaking in our lives. So reading from a book is also a very good activity which will help you with your public speaking, I guarantee it. So if you're ever going to give a speech and you're preparing for it, read out loud. Read what they have out loud. Abraham Lincoln used to read everything out loud and he was a great orator. So if you don't believe me, believe him. Do the research. It'll tell you that he he read everything, and he was one of the best speech curers ever. And so you too can read out loud from a book or from your computer. But think about a computer, and I've got one. I work all day behind one. Is that you have that light, the glare, which can get to your eyes and hurt your eyes. You do it a lot. Okay, so it's always better to read from a book. I think that's why we always loved our mothers and fathers to read books to us when we were young, because we knew not only did it sound good and it was interesting, but we knew that in the back of our minds it was helping them in ways that we didn't really know. But it does. It helps with your public speaking skills. It helps you read a word and then pronounce that word through your voice. It's that coordination between your eyes and your vocal cords, which is very valuable. So this book is Abduction to the Ninth Planet, also known as Sayuba, the Golden Planet. The author's name is Michael Desmarquette. And I was reading from it last week for about 30 minutes. It, it's about a man who was abducted from his house in Australia in the late 1980s and taken to a planet in our Milky Way galaxy, Thiaouba, T-H-I-A-B-O-U-A. And supposedly this race of extraterrestrials are 
technologically and spiritually one of the three most advanced in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is a big place, you know. Our galaxy is a huge place. I go outside in the backyard and look up at the evening sky sometimes, see the stars, and I focus in on just how many stars are out there. Every single square inch of evening sky is, if it wasn't for the atmosphere, you would see a sky full of stars, just like that song by Coldplay. Because you're a sky, you're a sky full of stars. Every square inch is full with stars. Millions of them. We're truly in a remarkable situation, my friends. Here we are born on a planet, in a galaxy, within a universe that is full of suns and planets. There's millions of them. And who are we? We're just like little drops in the ocean of it all. Little drops in the ocean, that's what we are. You and me, our planet, even. Our whole world is like a drop in the ocean of the Creator's spirit because every single thing that exists, the trees I'm looking out behind our backyard, the grass, the ground, the dirt, the rocks, the plastic chair out there, the cell phone I'm speaking into, that bird over there on the fence, the sun over there in the distance, the house next to us, all the material within that house, all the glass and wood and plastic and tile on top, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Supreme Creator and the Big Bang all those years ago. So rejoice, my friends. Be courageous. Be brave. Have a brave heart. We're living in America, the land of the brave, right? This is reality. That's why sometimes we need a reality check. Yes, we have to live our lives and be objective and have our job and make our money, buy our food, raise our children, but also there's time to rejoice in the fact that at one time there was nothing and now there's something and it's all very beautiful. There's a creator out there that's worthy of great and wonderful praise for all the incredible, miraculous things that creator has done. And this book by Michael Desmarquette, he is a, a great, very humorous author. You know, he passed away recently. May God bless his soul. May the creator bless his soul. I love reading this book. I've read it many times. Also, The Contact Has Begun is another one of my favorites with Philip Kraft, K-R-A-P-F, who was a writer on the L.A. Times Metro Desk. I'm sure he didn't make that up, you know, and try to ruin his reputation on purpose. Logical. Logic will save you, my friend. He was abducted, too, but for this book, this is my favorite. Let me find it. I haven't picked any place. I like this choosing anything at random. I know it like the back of my hand almost. So here's one. And this chapter is called Atomic Destruction. Hopefully, my friends, I don't even like talking about this, but we won't go the way of atomic destruction in the future. Believe it or not, there are other things around the universe that have been destroyed by atomic weaponry because usually during the evolution of a planet sooner or later they'll find out how to split the atom and then it can be used for weapons as you know we dropped two on Japan in World War II we don't need to go that way we don't need it to the Holocaust you see these movies are created nowadays very negative in that regard keep your heads above the water we don't want our children and their children destroyed, their future generations destroyed because of our inability to resolve our differences by talking things out. Right? I know that. I think we should all realize that. 
And so, unfortunately, since I believe that there is life out there, I know there is life out there, and there are other planets that are evolving like us, and they get involved with fight. It's true. I know it's true. Because look where we are, what we've been through. It's a very difficult subject for me to talk about because I don't want us going down that road of nuclear destruction. So I hope hope to do too that it doesn't happen that way because to destroy all of this beauty and all the people would be a great crime against the creator. We'd have to start again, you know, and everything that we've achieved, all our evolution, will be saved. Good thing. But we don't want to throw it out of way. You know, and so in they take them to a planet known as Arimo X3. Arimo X3 is a pretty cool name, isn't it? So this race of Polynesian kind of people, you know, with dark eyes and dark hair, existed at one time, and so they were very advanced technologically and had spacecraft which were capable of traveling at light speed, close to light speed and going interdimensional and then there were there was another planet also in the lower evolutionary stages that had pretty advanced technolo- technology, spacecraft, about the same kind of spacecraft and and so they actually and there has been interplanetary I think this planet, Arimo, there was a couple of different people on this planet, and they got involved in a nuclear holocaust. And one of the things that happens is, of course, as you might imagine, it destroys all of the plant life and animal life. And all, most of the inhabitants. And then for centuries afterwards, you're dealing with the radiation and there are birth defects, terrible, horrible birth defects. And the, some insects are mutated to gigantic proportions. Ants can become as big as cows, praying mantises 18 feet high that feed off the human beings. And of course, once they have this holocaust then they're um they have to live off the sea and they're they revert back to living in stone huts and wooden huts you know it's like starting all over again we don't want to do that we can take a lesson and if you read this book you read about it it's a difficult subject to talk about because we've been doing so well and I don't want, I wouldn't want, God forbid. Well, it's possible, you know, we live under that threat every day, you know, with the Cold War, Russia and ourselves back then. And forgive me, please, if I, I pray to the creator of the universe. Like, this stuff has to, you have to be able to talk about it. No, Hollywood is, is taking advantage of this projection. A lot of movies I've seen, unfortunately, I, I do watch the movies. Not all of them, but some I watch because I think only to find out they talk about nuclear weapons and Mission Impossible, you know, those movies. Hold on, please. I had to let one of our dogs out. And, you know, they take it to another level. I'm just talking about it because it's a subject that requires people to know about, you know, if you know what I mean. And I'm going to get to reading here in just a minute. How am I doing with time? We've got about 15 minutes left. So you can see that I'm anybody when I talk about that subject. We don't want that to happen. Hold on. Another dog wants you to come out. Right in the middle of my radio show. Come on, Gordon. It's okay. It's all right. 
One of our dogs, I was telling her that I was doing my show and she interrupted my show and she was, oh, kind of like, if I read her body language, she was going to go back inside, which is very sweet of her. And anyway, so Hollywood needs to be more careful with the movies that they make. The movies they make have a very big impression on people, you know. I think there's really very little value in showing a movie about atomic destruction. Or maybe not. I might be wrong. Maybe that will, it's helping us not to go down that road, so to speak. Okay, now she came back in. So anyway, this planet, they took Michael Desmarquette there on the way to Thio Uba to show him the effects of a nuclear war on a planet similar to ours and what remained there, as I mentioned, the people were decimated, you know, and had to live off the sea because all the plant and animal life had been destroyed. Insects were mutated. Imagine coming across an ant like uh, as big as a cow, those mandibles. And in the, the book, it talks about a whole heard of these gigantic ants um, were coming, bearing down on all these people, and one ant grabbed the man with its mandibles and cut him in half, just like that. Atomic radiation will do that. It will mutate insects. It will mutate fish also. And there was the radiation in the seas, and so they had, that was the only thing they could eat was fish that had radiation in it. As I mentioned, there was a lot of problems with birth defects. You can read about it yourself in this book. I'm going to read just a little bit to you. I felt pressure on my shoulder and turned around surprised. It was Thio, one of the extraterrestrials. She smiled at me, and I clearly remember appreciating for the first time the beauty and nobility of her face. I've already mentioned her hair, which was long and silky, golden blonde in color, which fell to her shoulders and framed a face that was perfectly oval in shape. She had a large, slightly protruding forehead, and these extraterrestrials are about nine feet tall, kind of like giants. And hermaphrodite, both male and female, too. Her blue mauve eyes, long curled lashes, would have been the envy of many women on our planet. Her eyebrows curved upwards, similar to the wings of a seagull, adding a unique charm. Under her eyes, which sparkled and sometimes teased, was her nose, well-proportioned and slightly flat at the bottom, which accentuated a sensual mouth. When she smiled, she revealed perfect teeth, so perfect one could believe they were false. This would have surprised me. The chin, well-shaped, but slightly angular, suggested a willful determination that was somewhat masculine, but this not did not detract from her charm. A faint shadow of hair above her upper lip could have spoiled its perfect play face were it not blonde. I see you already know how to free yourself from the force field, Michael. I was about to reply when an almost general exclamation made us turn our eyes to the panel. The people on the beach are surging back in mass toward the habitations and dived inside in one big rush while a line of men had been formed armed with white, with sabers or picks, facing the most incredible thing I could have ever imagined. A group of red ants, each the size of a cow, were rushing from behind the rocks onto the beach. They moved quicker than horses in gallop. The armed men kept glancing behind as if to compare the speed at which the people scrambled into safety with the advance of the ants. Already the latter were near, too near. The men faced them bravely as with only a second's hesitation, the first beast attacked. We could distinguish the mandibles clearly 
each the size of a man's arm. At first, the creature feigned, enabling the man to strike with his saber, but he slashed only air. Immediately, the mandibles encircled his waist, severing him cleanly in two. Another pair of ants helped the first to shred him, while the rest launched their assault from the fleeing, fleeing combatant, gaining rapidly on them, too rapidly. From the sphere, one of the spheres from the spaceship, an electric blue beam of unbearable intensity, just as the ants were upon the men. The creatures were struck dead, one after the other, with amazing precision and effectiveness. Curls of smoke rose from the burnt flesh of the animals strewn over the ground, their enormous legs convulsing in a last spasm. The beam continues its devastation among the ants, instantly and systematically annihilating the giant insects. They must have known instinctively that they could not match this almost supernatural force and fled in retreat. Everything had happened so quickly. Thio was still at my side, her face reflecting disgust and sadness rather than anger. Another glance at the panel revealed a new scene of the sphere pursuing the ants in their hasty retreat not only with the camera, but also with the deadly beam. The rest of the swarm, which I estimated to comprise six or seven hundred, were being decimated. Not one was left alive. The sphere returned to its earlier position above the beach and produced a special tool with which it combed through the carcasses. I could see one of the astronauts seated at her desk, talking into a computer. This prompted me to ask, Dio, if she was supervising the work being carried out. At the moment, yes. For this work was not originally scheduled. We are taking samples of these creatures, pieces of lung in particular, in order to analyze them. We think that certain types of radiation produce this mutant form of creature. In fact, ants do not have lungs, but the only logical explanation for their sudden giganticism is Bio stopped short. The camera was relaying a picture of the men now re-emerging from their shelters, gesticulating wildly at the sphere. They were holding their arms open wide and prostrating themselves on the ground. They repeated this pattern. Can they see the vessel, I asked? No, we are at an altitude of 40,000 meters. And further, there are presently three layers of cloud between the planet and us. On the other hand, they can see our probe. I think it is that that they are addressing these gestures of gratitude. Perhaps they take the sphere to be a god, which has saved them from ruin. It's quite possible. Can you tell me what is happening? Who are these people? It would take too long to explain to you, Michael, especially now with so much activity in the vessel. But I can satisfy your curiosity by explaining briefly. These people are, in a way, the descendants of certain ancestors of people existing still on your planet. In fact, a group of the ancestors people the continent on the planet Earth about 250,000 of your Earth years ago. Here, they possessed a civilization which was very advanced, but having raised enormous political barriers between themselves, they finally destroyed themselves 150 years ago with the atom. You mean a total nuclear war? Yes, brought about by chain reaction. We come from time to time to take samples in order to study the degree of radiation still exists in various regions. Sometimes, too, just as a few moments ago, we we help them. But they must take you to be God himself after what you did just now. Io smiled and nodded her head. Ah, yes. That's certainly true, Michael. They take us to be gods, exactly as on your planet, certain of your ancestors also took us to be gods. Still, they talk of us. I must have shown complete surprise as Sayo threw me a look of amusement. I told you a moment ago that my explanation is somewhat premature. We'll have plenty of time to talk of this again. Besides, that's why you are with us. With that, she excused herself and resumed her place in front of a screen. The images were changing rapidly on the panel. 
The sphere was on its way up, and we had a view of the whole section of the continent, of which I noticed in places patches of green and brown. The sphere took its place again within the vessel, and we departed. We flew over the planet at breathtaking speed, and I allowed myself to be imprisoned in my armchair by the force field. On the screen were images of the waters of an immense ocean. We could distinguish an island. We could distinguish an island, which grew rapidly. It seemed to be a very low island, although for me the problems of estimating dimensions were very real. The entire procedure, already described, was repeated. We stopped above the coast, and this time four spheres left the spacecraft and descended to the island. On the panel, I could see a beach, which the camera was scanning. On the water's edge lay what looked like thick slabs, around which were gathered naked men, the same kind as we'd seen earlier. They didn't appear to have noticed the sphere, and I assumed that this time it was at a much higher altitude, in spite of the ever-closing images we were receiving, ever-closing images we were receiving. On the planet, we could... Now see the men carrying one of the slabs into the waves. It floated as if made of cork. The men hoisted themselves up onto it, grabbed large oars that they handled skillfully, and the boat took to the open sea. When they were a good distance from the shore, they threw out fishing lines, and to my surprise, almost immediately pulled up fish of what seemed a respectable size. It was quite fascinating to see how these men were surviving and to be capable of helping them as if we were gods. I had released myself from the force field, wanted to go and study the other screens that were receiving different images. Just as I was about to venture from my seat, I received an order without hearing a sound. Stay where you are, Michael. I was stupefied. It was as if the voice was inside my head. I turned my head in Thio's direction, and she was smiling at me. I decided to try something and thought as hard as I could. Telepathy is great, isn't it, Tyone? Of course, she replied in the same manner. It's wonderful. Can you tell me what the temperature is down there at the moment? She checked the data at her desk. 28 of your degrees Celsius. By day, the average temperature is 38 degrees. I said to myself, if I was deaf and mute, I could communicate with Tyone quite as easily as I can with the spoken word. Exactly, my dear. I looked at Thio with some surprise. I had been making a personal reflection, and yet she had intercepted my thoughts. I was a little put out by this. She gave me a wide smile. Don't worry, Michael. I was merely being playful, and I ask that you forgive me. Normally, I only read your thoughts when you ask me a question. I just wanted to demonstrate what is possible in this domain. I won't do it again. I returned her smile and redirected my attention to the panel. There I could see a sphere on the beach, very close to a group of men who didn't seem to notice it. The sphere was removing sand samples from a spot about ten meters from the group. One minute left, my friends. That's it. Another dog has come back in. Come on. Well, I hope you enjoyed my reading. Sorry for the somber topic, but it's in that book, and it's something that we all should acknowledge. And also, Hollywood has a, a great responsibility to be more careful with the violence they give us, you know. That's all I wanted to say. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and, and great week next week. I love you. And may the creator of the universe bless us all, everyone. Goodbye.